we continue today, uh, blessed, blessed are the uh, persecuted, and um, in the series, as you know, we are examining uh, the life of a different uh, Bible character each week uh, who suffered persecution, and we're doing this in order to learn how God uses persecution and how we are to respond to persecution as believers. In our three previous uh, lessons, we've looked at uh, Joseph, uh, David, and the uh, prophet Jeremiah. Uh, The main lesson we learned from Joseph was that when a believer experiences persecution, or actually any type of adversity or suffering, it is initially very difficult to see any rhyme or reason for our suffering. Uh, Almost impossible to anticipate any good coming out of it. Uh, We are called to trust God in the dark. And even though we cannot see God, uh, to believe that He is behind the scenes, in control, orchestrating all things uh, to work for our spiritual benefit and to accomplish His plan for our lives. Uh, David uh, taught us how God uses persecution to move to remove all the crutches that we tend to lean on that can become substitutes for God in order to teach us to lean on God alone. God uses persecution to get us so low that we have no place to look but what? Up. And He wants to get us to the place where exalting Christ becomes more important than escaping the persecution or the suffering. The last Sunday, we looked at uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, a man who suffered more persecution over a longer period of time than any other person in the entire Bible. Uh, He taught us that it is okay in our pain and perplexity uh, to question and even doubt God, as long as we bring those questions and doubts to God. Uh, God used Jeremiah's persecution uh, to drive the prophet to God's Word, to drive the prophet uh, to prayer, Uh, and there in private with God as he exposed his doubts and his weaknesses and his struggles, he found the resolve and the strength to remain faithful to God in his public ministry for 50 years. Now today we come to Daniel. Daniel will be our topic today, who would have been a youth uh, during the latter years of Jeremiah's ministry. Uh, Last Sunday, we saw that Jeremiah never saw any positive response to his ministry, as he called the nation of Judah uh, to repent of their sin and return to God, or else they would suffer God's judgment at the hands of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, We saw that he was branded a a false prophet, uh, a traitor to his nation. He experienced nothing but ridicule and severe persecution for for 50 years. But he lived to see God's judgment on his people, sadly. And as the uh, Babylonians invaded Judah, of course, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed of the temple, and many of the people were led away into what Jeremiah predicted 
as the 70-year Babylonian captivity. And Daniel was one of those that was led away as a captive uh, to Babylon. Uh, he would, uh, as I mentioned, been a youth uh, during the uh, latter years of Jeremiah's ministry. And I think this is important to mention before we put our sole focus on Daniel. It's very obvious that Jeremiah greatly influenced Daniel as a young person. And the lesson there is, now if you were here last Sunday, it was just incredible what Jeremiah experienced. Fifty years of ridicule, mocking, scorn, persecution, imprisonments, beatings, just on and on. Never seeing any positive response. But you'd never know who's watching. You never know. And you never know who you're quietly influencing. And I am personally convinced that we would not even know about Daniel if it hadn't been for Jeremiah and his example and his influence on this young man. So uh, look there at the introduction in your sermon notes. Uh, the, the first part, the first, uh, first side of your sermon notes will not be on PowerPoint, but the second side will be when we look at the uh, applications for our lives today. But look at the introduction. It just sort of sets this up. There were several deportations of Jewish captives to Babylon, both before and after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Daniel and his three friends, and we know their names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were part of the first deportation uh, after the initial siege and capture of Jerusalem, which occurred, we know, in 605 B.C. Uh, and the amazing thing is that Daniel and his three friends would have only been 15 or 16 years old uh, when they were uh, taken uh, from their families in Jerusalem to serve in the Babylonian king's administration. And, of course, that king was the man known as Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel served, we know, in both the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian empires well into his 80s. Uh, he never returned to his homeland. So again, snatched out of his homeland from his family at the age of 15, 16, taken to Babylon, served through the uh, remaining years of the Babylonian Empire and into the uh, earlier years of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now here's the key. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel is the story of how God used these men these, Daniel and his three friends, in a culture hostile to their faith to bring the knowledge of the one true living God to a heathen world. Each of the first six chapters tell a separate story. So in each chapter, there's a story with a final concluding paragraph which summarizes the impact of their testimony. Now, it's so important for us to see this because sadly, and very sadly, the first six chapters of Daniel, although very familiar to most believers, are typically seen as nothing more than a string of great Sunday school stories that teach us about praying hard and not getting burned up or eaten by lions. But we miss the primary truth 
that Daniel's communicating in these six chapters, which is so, so powerful. And it's this, God raised up, now listen, God raised up the nation of Israel to be his witness to the nations of the world. Their mission was to bring God's salvation to the entire earth. But Israel, as we know, totally lost sight of the mission God gave them. They perverted their religion, became totally self-centered, seeing God as a tool to be used to accomplish their means rather than the other way around. And they end up, what, becoming a greater mission field than the surrounding Gentile nations, the surrounding heathen nations. God is forced to judge his people as he did uh, through the Babylonians and that captivity. And it appears all is lost. God's people have failed. God's purposes have not been accomplished. And then we see that God accomplishes through Daniel. And his three friends, while in captivity to God's enemies and experiencing persecution in that situation, they were able to accomplish what the nation of Israel failed to do over many years. And that was to make God known to the nations. So I want us to look at the first six chapters from that perspective, which is really the heart of these chapters, not so much focusing on the stories, you're fairly familiar with the stories, but focusing on the impact of their testimonies, which is summarized in the last few verses of each chapter. Now you see there in your notes, I give you the chapter, then I give you the testimony of God's child, just summing it up in a phrase, and then I give you the verses at the end of each chapter that sort of summarize the, the, the impact. And Daniel 1 is all about their testimony of refusing to compromise God's word. And let me just give you a little bit of background. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, was a very shrewd uh, leader. It was his habit when he conquered a country to take some of the brightest and the best young people from that country bring them to Babylon, and then train them, educate them to serve in his government, to serve in his administration. And Daniel and his three friends uh, were selected uh, to be part of that group uh, from the nation of Judah. And King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that the Hebrew the youths be trained, be educated, in a three-year program to indoctrinate them into Babylonian philosophy, a Babylonian religion, magic, astrology, science, and medicine, just to name a few of the subjects. Uh, they had to learn all of this in the primary language of the Babylonians. So they had to learn a brand new uh, language. And one obvious goal in all of this, very obvious goal, was to convert the monotheistic Hebrews, in other words, who believed in the one true God, to the Babylonians' polytheism, uh, where they believed in multiple gods. All four youths were renamed, 
And I don't know if you realize this, but they were renamed after Babylonian deities, Babylonian false gods. Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar. Hananiah's name was changed to, you know, Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. And Azariah became Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the Israelites to reject the God they worship. He wanted them to reject the lifestyle, the biblical lifestyle they had embraced, and to serve the gods of Babylonian and to begin to live a heathen lifestyle. And they were put under the tutelage of a uh, Babylonian governmental leader by the name of Aspenaz. Now, the story in chapter 1 is all about Daniel and his three friends refusing to compromise God's Word in that situation. Despite, and this is incredible, despite being only 15 or 16 years of age, they were unwilling to violate their biblical convictions. And they were ready, if necessary, to stand alone for God and to suffer the consequences of their obedience. If you're familiar with the first chapter, they did this in the most uh, respectful way. They maintained a very respectful attitude uh, towards their captors, never expressing any contempt. Uh, They were willing to continue to be the best of students, uh, demonstrating excellence in their studies and and mastering uh, their lessons. And they certainly didn't want to create any trouble for Aspenaz, who was accountable to them Uh, before Nebuchadnezzar. So when they were commanded to eat the king's food, which was a violation of the biblical dietary code uh, for for Hebrews, uh, they made an appeal to Aspenaz to test them. Uh, They suggested that uh, for 10 days, he would let them eat uh, their Jewish diet and not force them to eat the Babylonian food. And then after 10 days, to compare them with the other young people that were going through this uh, educational program, this educational training. Of course, uh, they passed the test with flying colors. It became very, very clear. Uh, Aspenaz allowed them then, therefore, to maintain their dietary uh, code. And we're told that God uh, supernaturally anointed them, blessed them in their studies. But what we need to see, the key is the impact. I hope you have your Bibles turned to the book of Daniel. If you don't, please do so. And look at the very last verses of the chapter, which again summarizes the impact that all of this had. Beginning at verse 18. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them. In other words, after their three-year educational program, they had all gone through the training. Uh, uh, they, uh, it says, uh, then at the end of those days, they, they were presented uh, by the commander to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, and the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael or Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. 
So the first thing that you want to notice, as they, as they make their stand for God, we're not going to violate our biblical convictions in this foreign land. We're going to stay true to those convictions. If necessary, standing alone for God. If necessary, suffering whatever consequences. The result is, at this point, nothing more than their lives catching the attention of the king. There's something special about these four guys. They seem to be wiser than everybody else, have a greater understanding than everybody else, and he comes to, to, to trust them. So that's, that's the first thing. They just simply catch his attention. So, he ha- so he's watching, and he's interacting with them, and he's brought them into his personal service. Then you move into chapter 2. And the testimony there is about trusting in the power of prayer. Most of you know what the story is in chapter 2. The king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And the dream really startles him. And so he brings all of his wise men and his magicians and his conjurers. And he says, I had a dream and it's troubling me. And I want one of you guys to interpret this dream and matter of fact, because I don't really trust you folks, I'm demanding that you first tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. And, of course, they said, oh, king, we, we, can't, we can't do that. I mean, first tell us the dream, then we'll attempt to. He said, no, I ain't doing that. You tell me what the dream was, and then you interpret it. They said, oh, king, we can't do that. He gets so enraged, so angry, he commands the death of all of his wise men, of all of his conjurers, of all his magicians, which would have included Daniel and his three friends. Daniel hears about this. He goes to one of the top governmental officials, says, hey, uh, what's what's going on here? And and then uh, he's told, and then look at the request that he makes in verse 16 of chapter 2. So it says, so Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, in order, don't miss this now, that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So again, the king has this dream. He wants them to tell him his dream, interpret the dream. They can't do it. Daniel goes to the king and says, give me and my three friends times to pray to our God. And our God, he'll give us the interpretation. And God does. And of course, Daniel gives the king the interpretation Uh, The king is uh, absolutely amazed by this. And again, the key to the book of Daniel is the end of each chapter. The impact of of the testimony. And so look at verses 46 through 49. The last verses of chapter 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. This is the most powerful man in the entire planet. And gave orders to present to him an offering and a fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord 
of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. So notice what happens now. First chapter, Daniel and his friends just get the king's attention because they stand out above the rest. Now the king, he's not quite there yet in terms of, of, of a believer. But now the king realizes that the reason these guys are so special is because of the God that they worship. He's able to make that connection because this interpretation came as a result of what? Answered prayer. Now you move to chapter 3. And of course, everyone knows the story of chapter 3. It's what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being delivered from the fiery furnace. And by the way... There's probably, most people aren't aware of this, there's probably a 20-year span between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, you remember uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3 makes this huge statue, and there's music playing. It's really, it's really a, a worship service, and he says when the music begins to play, uh, you have to bow down and give homage and a worship uh, to this statue in essence, uh, which is a representation of him as he is exalting himself as like the supreme, supreme God, supreme ruler. And of course, as the music plays, you know the story. Everyone bows down except who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Apparently, we don't know where Daniel was, but it's obvious Daniel was not there. Uh, apparently on some mission or errand for the king, or he would have been uh, in there with them. Well, there's a lot of guys in the king's court they're jealous over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel as well because of the preference that they're being given by the king. And so they see this as a wonderful opportunity uh, to get them out of the way to uh, uh, promote themselves. So they go to the king and they said, Oh, king, you know, everyone bow down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king gets enraged. And he, and he brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. Look at chapter 3. Uh, look at uh, about the middle of verse 15. This is the king speaking. He says, but if you will not worship, in other words, if you won't fall down before the statue and worship, you will, be, uh, immediate, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And then notice his challenge. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? In other words, I'm the top dog here. I'm the top, top God in this polytheistic uh, culture and nation. And so what God can deliver you out of, out of my hands? And so uh, look at their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, even if we burned alive, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, then he just goes into a tantrum. 
and uh, he heats up the furnace even more. You know the story. Throws them in. Even the, the guards that threw them in were burned up, lost their lives uh, because of having to get so close uh, to the furnace. And then, remember, God, what? Miraculously delivers them. And again, my, my, my point is not to go into details of the story, but to see the impact of the testimony. Now, he delivers them supernaturally. God delivers them. And notice the impact. Go to the end of chapter 3 and notice what happens. Verses 28, 29, and 30. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. Remember, there was that fourth person in the fire with them that appeared to be as a son of God and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house is reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the providence of Babylon. Now, folks, just pause a minute and see what's happening. First, the Hebrew youth stand out. They get Nehemiah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Chapter 2, he begins to realize what makes these guys special is the God they worship. And then he sees this remarkable testimony of God delivering them from the fiery furnace issues this command. Now think about this. Babylonian, Babylon is the world empire at the time. This decree goes out to the, to the known world at that time. The entire, all the countries, nations that he's conquered. And he says, nobody better say anything offensive about the God of the Hebrews. Because if you do, you're going to get torn limb to limb, limb your house is going to be torn down, everything. Now, if you weren't a Jew... What do you think you would do when you saw that, heard that decree? I'd go find me a Jew pretty quick. I'd find me a Hebrew pretty quick. And I'd, I'd want to begin learning about their religion so that I didn't actually do anything that would end up causing me to lose my life and my family and my home. So now what happens is... The knowledge of God is being spread throughout all the kingdom. Again, Nebuchadnezzar is not quite there personally yet. I mean, he's, he's beginning to see this. He's beginning to admire, appreciate, respect this God. Uh, but again, it's, you know, you're going to be torn limb for limb if, if you do anything offensive against him. But he's not necessarily totally for him yet. And then we go to chapter 4. And when you go to chapter 4, you remember the king... Has another, has another dream. And, uh, and just relax. We're not going to finish the message today. Uh, we'll, we'll get through the six chapters, and then we'll look at the applications of, for this uh, uh, in the next message. So he, he has this dream and really troubles him. And he brings Daniel in because of his relationship with Daniel and his respect for Daniel. And he knows Daniel has the ability, because of what God's given him, to interpret the dream. And he gives him the dream. And Daniel, if you're familiar with it, he's, a, he, he, he's, he's, he's just struck because he realizes that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had 
uh, was actually uh, a chastisement that God was going to bring uh, against him. Uh, look at, uh, well, let's just look at the interpretation. We won't go into the, the dream itself. Look at chapter 4, look at verse, uh, let me begin reading at verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heavens, and seven periods of time will pass over you, that'd be seven years, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there be a prolonging of your prosperity. So what does Daniel do in chapter 4? He pronounces uh, or he confronts uh, this ungodly king but with great compassion. He's very loyal toward the king and he makes this very loving, heartfelt appeal. King, God's given you a warning. You need to turn from your arrogance, your pride. You need to turn from your sin and iniquity, and you need to recognize who the one true God is and bow before him. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar does not heed the message. He does not heed the warning. And you know the story. God's prophecy is fulfilled. He becomes insane, literally insane, for seven years, out in the fields, living as an animal. But then after seven years, his sanity is restored. Again, the key to the book is the end of each chapter. Notice the impact of this. Go to the uh, end of chapter 4, and we come to verse 34, and what you're going to discover is Nebuchadnezzar now is a true believer in the one true God. But at the end of that period, I... And then notice, this is Nebuchadnezzar's own testimony that Daniel's recording. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What hast thou done? At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all of his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble and those who walk in pride. Amen? Amen. Matter of fact, Daniel, actually, 
I skipped over. Daniel is so excited about chapter 4. He, uh, uh, he, he, right at the very beginning of the chapter, he has to throw in uh, a little bit more of uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Look at uh, the very first uh, three verses. Nebuchadnezzar the king. To all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. So now what you have in chapter 4 is this godless heathen king becomes a true believer in the one true living God. And he proclaims that throughout his entire kingdom, his entire... And again, folks, this is the amazing truth about the book of Daniel. What Israel failed to do as a nation over those many years, being called to be God's witness, to bring God's salvation to all the nations of the world, God used four use. Well, that's where they began. 15, 16 years old, Daniel and then his three friends in captivity to God's enemies suffering persecution to bring the knowledge of God to the entire world, to every nation of the world. Amen? Oh, it's just, it's just stunning. Then you move to chapter 5, and we've, 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 we've fast-forwarded a good bit. Nebuchadnezzar has died. Uh, a couple of his sons have ruled. Now there's, new, uh, it's, there's, a, there's a co-regency between a father and a son, uh, and the son uh, is left in charge of Bab- Babylon. His name is Belshazzar. And if you're familiar with the, uh, the story, uh, his father has met the Medes and Persians in warfare uh, many miles away, and, uh, and the Babylonians were defeated. But, you know, his father was able to retreat with much of the army, and so he felt totally comfortable. And you, you need to understand why. Uh, Babylon was a massive city. Uh, it literally uh, uh, covered 3,000 acres. Uh, the Euphrates River went right through the middle of the city. So if it was ever under siege, uh, they had a plentiful water supply. They had uh, cattle, livestock, everything within the walls of the city. And then around the entire city, those 3,000 acres, was a huge moat that they filled using uh, water that they diverted from the river Euphrates. And then uh, inside that moat, uh, they ha- they, there was a huge wall that surrounded the entire city. Now get this, that wall was 85 feet thick, 85 feet thick, and it was close to being 350 feet high. And that went around the entire city, and then at different uh, places on the wall, there were all these towers. There were right out about 100 towers that they could man and defend the city. And so the, the, they just did not worry about anybody uh, overthrowing them. So despite the fact that they've just lost a significant battle, uh, Belshazzar, he, uh, he, ha- he throws this huge party. There are over 1,000 present, uh, all sorts of nastiness going on and uh, immorality, and then he decides uh, he's going to bring out uh, the uh, utensils from the temple that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had taken uh, from uh, the temple in Jerusalem. 
And again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, because he had come to know God, respect God, follow God, he had honored and respected those items. But now Belshazzar, he's, he's just making a mockery of it. And so he brings it all out, and they begin drinking their wine out, and they're getting drunk, and everything's going on. And right in the middle, you remember what happens? The handwriting on the wall. I mean, can you even imagine? I mean, everybody must say, you know, it's funny when it uh, describes Belshazzar. It talks about how he, he, he almost falls, his knees shake, you know, he turns white. I mean, he, he, it's, it's pretty rough. And uh, everyone else, and... Man, they're, they're torn up by this, and, and so the, uh, the, the, the queen mother, his mom, who would have been a queen at the time, she, uh, she said, hey, you need to get Daniel. Daniel would have been an old man at this time. You need to get Daniel. So Daniel comes in, and of course, Daniel's not happy about what he sees. Belshazzar says, hey, Daniel, you, you, you interpret what's on that wall and he, he gives him, he said, I'll give you all these stuff. You know, I'll, I'll give you all these material things. Uh, you'll be uh, elevated to tremendous prominence within the Medo-Persian. And Daniel looks at this young guy and he says, you can keep your stinking gifts to yourself. I mean, I mean he, he's very direct with him. He said, you just give those someone else. But I'll give you the interpretation. And, of course, we just don't have time to get into that. You can read it on your own. But basically the interpretation is what? Your, your, your days are measured, and matter of fact, tonight, tonight, you're going to lose the kingdom. And of course, if you know the story, what the Medes and Persians did, it was actually, uh, they had just defeated his dad in this battle, and there was just a small contingent that left and came secretly to Babylon, and what they did, they diverted the river Euphrates into a nearby lake outside the city, so that they could go down into that moat where it became only about uh, thigh deep. And they were able to walk right into the city. And it's an amazing thing. They captured the city without a fight. I mean, without a fight. It's, it's, just, it's just a stunning, one of the most stunning victories recorded in all of history of all of warfare. Uh, what they did, this sneak attack and how they got in. And Belshazzar loses his, his kingdom. So what, what you have here is God pronouncing, or Daniel pronouncing judgment against sin. You see that judgment uh, happening just as God, God said it. And then you go into chapter 6. Now the Medes and Persians are in control. Uh, Darius is overseeing uh, Babylon. And uh, Daniel has a very significant place in his government as well because of his wisdom and his respect. Daniel's a man in his 80s at this time. He's in his 80s. And so the king is going to elevate Daniel to even a greater position of authority. Some of the other governmental rulers, just like we see today, I mean, just the greed and the uh, selfishness, they say, well, we need to get Daniel out of the way. He's, he's getting our way. We, we, we don't like all the attention he's getting from Darius. So they begin to examine this man, and they're looking for a chink in his armor. And, I mean, they go over the records, they go over his entire life, they go over every area, and they cannot find a single chink, a single flaw. He's a man of just absolute, perfect integrity. So they said, what are we to do? But they said, well, can we use his religion against him? And they noticed that three times a day he prayed. Three times a day he would go to his room, open his windows, and pray towards Jerusalem. So they said, let's trick Darius to issuing an edict 
that for 30 days, no one can pray to any other God but Darius, acknowledging his supreme authority. And if they do so, it's the death penalty. They're thrown to be eaten by the lions, into lion's den. So what does Daniel do? That man did what he started to do when he was a teenage boy. He didn't change anything. He went up to his room. He could have kept the windows closed. He didn't. He opened the windows. He bowed down, and he prayed to God. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to, you know, make some sort of excuse to make it easier on himself. He just kept doing what he had done all of his life. And they catch him. They take him to Darius. Darius is torn. Darius loves Daniel, but he's trapped now. And once a king gives a law back in that day, he has to follow through. So you know the story. They throw Daniel in the lion's den. God supernaturally delivers Daniel. But again, the key to the book of Daniel is the end of the chapter. Notice the impact of the testimony. And we'll stop here this morning. Look at verses 25, 26, 27, 28. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Isn't this a stunning story when, when, you, when you see these six chapters in that light? Not just the stories, but the impact. That God used Daniel and these four youths again in captivity to their enemies, suffering persecution, many times having to practice self-disobedience to literally bring the knowledge of God to the known world of that day. So we praise God for that. And, of course, as we're going to see, there are some powerful applications for our lives today. And that will be the focus when we get together next. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this um, this just amazing uh, uh, testimony of how you use these four men beginning as teenagers uh, to capture the hearts of these uh, wicked, evil, heathen kings so that your name uh, would be proclaimed throughout all the peoples of the earth at that time. And, um, and so, Lord, we, we thank you that once again we see that you cannot be stopped, uh, that you are all-powerful, and that uh, as we trust you, there is nothing impossible with you. And, uh, and Lord, uh, give us grace even when... We can't see, and we're struggling, uh, anticipating uh, what's happening or how good's going to come out of this to put our trust in you, that you got it under control and that you're accomplishing your purposes in and through us. So, Lord, uh, thank you for this, again, wonderful lesson today. 
for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Uh, amen.